Today's episode of the Mark Ackerman Podcast, Darren Trainer joins me as we relive the 2012 World Series champion San Francisco Giants and their incredible season filled with many twists and turns, ups and downs. It's a lot of fun going over that. Later this week, we also should have a podcast on our top receiver prospects in the 2020 NFL Draft. Expect that up around Thursday or Friday sometime later this week. Please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. You can find us on either iTunes or Podbean. Hopefully we'll be up at Spotify pretty soon. Find us at The Mark Ackman Podcast. Now time for the pod. On a Tuesday with Darren Trainer, we're going to be talking about the 2012 champion San Francisco Giants reliving that incredible season. And of the three championships that we saw in 2010, 12, 14, I think this is arguably the best team of the three. Um, just a lot of great storylines throughout mm-hmm. the season, great seasons from certain players. You obviously have Buster Posey winning the MVP. You had four starters in the All Star game, one of your starters winning the all-star game, MVP, many, yeah. then getting suspended. I mean, just so many storylines. You lose your closer to Tommy John in April. Just so many things right. happen. You have a perfect game. Uh, just a lot of things um, and a fun year. Um, but like I said, yeah. I think this was probably the best team. I think so. Um, you back at all three teams. Um, obviously, each year there's unsung heroes and, and little acquisitions you know, at the deadline that, that helped, you know, the Giants win three World Series championships. But I think even more on this team, there's so many different um, factors and players that have gone down um, throughout the season, different events that really led to um, a team getting hot at the right time and, and winning their second uh, World Series championship. You know, definitely, you know, a fun team to watch. They got hot at the right time, uh, and one of the most, you know, exciting postseasons that that I can remember in my in my time for sure. I think it's incredible. Um, looking back, I mean, as a fan during the time, it was arguably the most stressful <laughs> couple weeks. Oh yeah, October of my entire life. Uh, I remember counting this team out multiple times, not only in the playoffs, but even in the regular season at certain times. And we'll get into that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but just an incredible team. I mean, every every championship has a great story to it, and that's for every team, but especially right. these Giants teams. They each have Every team was different, even though they had mm-hmm. certain key cogs to each team. Um, but before, I guess, we get into 2012, I think we should probably recap the season that happened before in 2011. So mm-hmm. going into 2011, they're obviously the defending champions winning in 2012, right. coming off with a rookie of the year, looking like going to be arguably one of the best players in baseball at the time, Buster Posey, just an absolute stud superstar, and breaks his leg early in the 2011 season. Um, I remember certain that shirts. kind of – F Scott Cousins, Scott Cousins, baby. But no, that was just terrible. Uh, Just a terrible thing. Terrible. He broke his leg. And I think that that kind of just took the energy out of the whole season, obviously. Um, You know, Pablo is coming off a year where in in 2010, he was left off the postseason roster, if I'm correct. Yes. He had a really breakout season in 2011. But when you look back on that 2011 season, Buster Posey, breaking his ankle with the with the collision there at home play I mean that's that's the biggest factor in that season because what felt like you know that they, they were going to make a run on it again but obviously after that happened you, you know you lose a, a core superstar like that I mean yeah. uh, when you look at it just from a broader or just a, when you look at it and just say what happened in 2011 a lot of people do point to the 20 or Buster Posey I should say breaking his leg but there were a lot of things that started I think to get the ball rolling you mentioned Pablo Sandoval he had an incredible season would you take 315 23 home runs 70 RBIs I'd take that every day especially from a guy who is like you said not on the postseason roster in 2010 and he I think he was in the NLCS I remember him but he just didn't play a whole lot and rightfully Mm -hmm. so huge breakout year and then I think you look at the pitching this was I Tim Winscombe's last elite season with a 2.74 ERA, but he had a rough mm-hmm. luck year, only 13 and 14. 
Matt Cain was still very good. Bumgarner was really starting to become his own. He threw 204 innings that year. But I think the biggest bright spot for this team was the finding of Ryan Vogelsong. We all know how much he meant to these championship teams. This was his first year back, 13-7 and with a 2.71 ERA. Again, he's not the sexiest name. Not the He wasn't a young guy, but I think we all no. agree, looking back, that was one of the biggest pieces for the championship teams, especially in 2012. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you know, he, he played a big factor obviously in 2012 because Lincecum took a step back. There's just a lot of, a lot of different, you know, little events that happened, whether that be in free agency in 2011, uh, going into 2012, that played a huge factor in, in them making a run in 2012. Gosh, you, you think about, you know, Melky Cabrera was traded for Jonathan Sanchez. Jonathan Sanchez. Jonathan Sanchez was a good giant in his time, obviously good the giant, no hitter. He had no a hitter, big obviously. he had a big part in the 2010 postseason as well. He was pretty good in some of those games, but I agree, 1000% and we'll obviously get in deeper into the Melky situation, but 100% you'd take that trade any day of the week, especially how Melky performed in the games he was allowed to play. Another huge addition Angel Pagan. I know Andres Torres yeah. was a big fan favorite, and a lot of people were sad to see him go. Ramon Ramirez was an okay addition in the 2010 bullpen piece. But Angel Pagan, mm-hmm. uh, and he had some injury issues with the hamstring, but he was very good for this team when he was on the field and played a very good center field right. and was arguably, I think, over the past couple of years, one of the only good leadoff hitters the Giants have had in a very long time. Mm-hmm. I would agree. I would agree. He he definitely played it, played an impact. Obviously, Gregor Blanco making the team out of camp is another another guy that, you know, was with the Giants for, you know, a good good amount of time. Obviously, played a huge factor in 2014. I thought he was just another unsung hero that you know was a role player for Bruce Bochy that, you know, just you know play good defense. Obviously, he's not gonna you know I think he only hit 240 that year. Two. You play yeah, 244 like and a little under 400 at-bats. But, again, you for one, you didn't really want him to have that many at-bats because you mm-hmm. know he's not a great hitter. But like you said, he, he had an outstanding defense. And he just really – he was just that guy who – he was a perfect fourth or fifth outfielder who could just fill in every now and then. Absolutely. And he would just have – he didn't hit for a high average, but it always felt like he was putting together good at-bats, good quality at-bats. Um, and mm-hmm. was a good bunner, and that played big in some playoff games. Ryan Terrio was another guy they signed on a one-year deal. Mm-hmm. Wasn't a huge, huge, huge factor. He did. He was the starting second baseman for the most of the season. Obviously, they had a, quite another big addition later on. Um, mm-hmm. But Ryan Terrio was another key piece to that team. And then they they signed Matt Kane, who was the ace at the time, and right. at the time looked like an incredible deal. For the both sides, you could say he signed a six-year extension worth $127 million. I, hey, I don't, I don't think you old. could have found a Matt or a, a Matt Kane hater that was a Giant. No, every Giants fan loved Matt Kane. So nobody, I, in my opinion, that I can recall, hated that deal at the time. Obviously, history would show it wasn't the best deal, but you take it, especially considering two rings once you signed the deal. But outstanding yeah, career absolutely. for him and a good and, and a good contract for him for him. Mm-hmm. This is pre injury. I mean, he's twenty seven years old. He's kind of a guy that you could pencil in for two hundred innings. He's a frontline starter at that point. You know, you're gonna sign him for market value and I think that's what they got out of Matt Kane. They they also, you know, gave Bumgarner an extension for good reason. I mean he's twenty two years old at the time. Another key factor, you know, going into that season that I felt like is you know, they signed Linscombe the last two years of his arbitration. You know, they extended him for a two-year, $40 million deal, but, you know, reportedly turned down a five-year, $100 million extension, which is interesting because he's coming off one of the best seasons of his, you know, maybe not the best season of his, his career, but I mean, he's 13 and 14 with a 2.74 ERA. You know, he's, at this point, he's looking like, you know, they're, pitcher of the future I would say their frontline starter of the future but they re you know they extend Kane and Bumgarner and then Linscombe obviously has kind of a a down season in 2012 but interesting kind of now you know at the time 
my my I guess my question would be to you. Let's say Lincecum signs the big deal at five years, right? Do you think they're more inclined to still sign Bumgarner, or is that why you think they may have extended Bumgarners because now they had more flexibility, more years, or I should say money in terms to offer Bumgarner a bigger, longer deal than they would have if they I signed. Think so at this point, hey man, at this point you already have a ton of money invested in Barry Zito. I mean, so at this point, they're trying to re-sign Linscombe probably. And Linscombe's probably their first priority. When he says no, I don't think there's a way that they – they're thinking, you know, say Linscombe, you know, repeats that 2011 season in 2012 and in 2013. There's no way that they can re-sign him, I don't think. You know, he's hitting free agency with all the leverage in 2013 – so I think the I think the re you know the reconstruction of the deal for Bumgarner and Kane is more of a more of a way that they're kind of covering their ass because they they might not be able to re-sign Linscombe in twenty. Oh, one hundred percent, one one hundred percent. And I think I mean, we can all agree Linscombe going into the twenty twelve season was without a doubt the best pitcher on the staff. Then we can all probably yeah. agree Matt Kane was the two. Bumgarner mm-hmm. was still super young, but he clearly was going to show. We didn't maybe think he was going to be the, as elite as he was, especially in the postseason in 14, but he clearly was going to show that he was going to be an ace, correct? Right. So, I, again, it worked out perfectly in a sense for the Giants. Yeah, they may, again, in hindsight, have overpaid for Kane a little bit, but at the time it was considered a good deal for both sides. And then you do get Bumgarner right. on a cheap deal. They really did. They right. didn't really have to pay him for that or that much money considering how good he was. So it actually worked out perfectly for the Giants because they still did get Tim Lincecum. Again, wasn't elite like he had been before they paid him, but still was a good serviceable, serviceable pitcher. And then they get two studs in the rotation. One more thing on pitching and acquisitions. And he played mm-hmm. a huge part uh, in both teams. George Contos. They get him for Chris Stewart right before or right during the uh, before the season, and I just Contos, just another key part of the bullpen. He was usually typically the first guy out of the pen, get an out or two, but he would come in in big situations right. with runners on, and he'd always seem to find a way to get out of it. So I thought that was a big deal for them. Ton of ton of guys, man. That just I I just look back at you know guys like like you know. Aubrey Huff and John and Freddie Sanchez, you know, obviously going down in April, which kind of, you know, initially starts the Ryan Terrio in there. And second base is kind of the position that they're, you know, mixing guys in there. Emmanuel Burris gets some time there. And then obviously they, you know, find a way to acquire Marco Scudero in, in late July. But, yeah, man, there's there's so many different little little players and and little acquisitions that you look back on that, gosh, man, that that was an awesome acquisition by Brian Sabian. So Pablo Sandoval has a breakout year in 2011, and mm-hmm. starts the 2012 season with a 20 game hitting streak. He actually set the franchise record for, with 19 game hitting streak. The streak ended at 20. A week right. later. Pablo broke, breaks his hamate bone in his left hand. He had previously, the season before, broke it in his right hand. So a guy that last year was off, had a great season, missed some time because of a, an injury. This year's off to an incredible start. Now again, mm-hmm. losing some time because of that. They lose Brian Wilson, which we didn't really mention, but they lose their closer, Brian Wilson, in uh, April. Now they lose their third base, but not for the season. Yeah, Brian Wilson, a huge fan favorite, especially in 2010, Fear the Beard, great movement. But now they lose their third baseman for arguably about four to eight weeks. Huge for this team. Right. Just looking back on it, it's just crazy. Melky Cabrera, I mean, 50 hits in the month of May. 50. That was the silver lining. You lose Pablo, who was a great person. Well, you just added arguably at the time – before he went down with what we'll talk about later, but he was arguably the best hitter in the National League or of all of baseball in 2012, Melky. And like you said, San Francisco Giants record, 51 hits in the month of May, just absolutely 
incredible stuff from Melky Cabrera. That there season. are only three three games over 500 through May, and so he, I mean, he was kind of him, and obviously Posey, these guys are kind of keeping the keeping the the boat afloat, you could say, throughout the the month of April and May. Well, you mentioned the records. They didn't really get anything going the first two months. They were three games over 500, like you mentioned, after the first right. two months. But then they kind of start to get things going in June. And a couple big things happened in the month of June. Uh, before mm-hmm. we get to the biggest one, the day before that, Pablo returns from the lineup. So this mm-hmm. is where things maybe start getting going. Pablo returns from his injury. Bumgarner hits his first big league home run. We, we saw plenty of those. And he struck out 12 batters. The last giant to do that, hitting, home, hitting a home run, striking out 10-plus guys, a fan favorite as well, Mike Kruko. So Bumgarner, maybe this is where Bumgarner starts. It's like, whoa, this is the, that's where he started to become a fan favorite. Mm-hmm. The very next day, however, though, Mr. Trainer, what happens? Yeah, unbelievable. Yeah, dude, I mean, I think everyone kind of remembers where they were when they – watch this game um i remember for sure uh matt kane throws throws a perfect game just an unbelievable performance it was against the astros the astros were in the national league at the time still but uh terrible yeah terrible but i mean they had uh yeah they were they were were the worst team in the national league they had 55 wins the funny thing to me about that game was i remember it because it was so bad in the terms of the giants were blowing them out early I stopped watching it in like the second, third inning because it's just one of the, well, this game's over. They're going to win. And again, you don't start counting these no-hitter perfect games till you get to like the sixth, seventh inning. Well, after six innings, get an update on my phone. Let me know what Matt Cain's up to. I'm like, okay, here we go. So then I, (laughs) you know, head on back out, watch the game. And that's when the incredible Gregor Blanco play happens in the seventh inning. Unbelievable. Every time I watch it, Every time I watch it, I get, I chills. get chills. Yeah. Get chills. Yeah, I get it, chills have, watching him make the catch. Kuiper's call. This is incredible. Just unbelievable. Man. Absolutely yeah, incredible moment. And I don't know why, but it always feels like in a perfect game, a no-hitter, there's always at least one incredible, amazing play that always happens. Oh, in yeah. games. And I guess it makes sense because it's really hard for nine innings to keep a major league team without getting a hit. So I guess it does Unbelievable, make sense. Unbelievable, man. I think the only thing I remember the only thing for me that makes or that's probably a better play than Blanco's that actually is is the Dwayne Wise catch against Mark uh for Mark Burley's perfect game when they played the Tampa Bay Rays. That was an absolutely oh, robbed, robbed incredible play. And it, he actually now he robbed now Giants manager Gabe Kaplan. So pretty good stuff, but I think that's the Unbelievable, best. man. Unbelievable. I remember Austin Bush at the time he, you know, we're playing basketball together, and he missed a, I think it was a, a basketball like summer league game to go to this game, and uh, our head coach at the time, Doug Corn, Doug Cornfo, was kind of giving him shit in the group message. I remember, uh, you know, he he skipped the game, went to went to the Giants game, saw Matt Cain throw his perfect game, and then after the game, he shoots in the group message. It was phenomenal. He's like, not a bad, uh, not a bad game to game to watch huh coach it was a little bit of a mic drop moment for Austin but that's hilarious it's a great story dude dude, could you imagine being there live I mean I would give a lot of money it's funny every time I'm at a game and I have a a lot of times now the tickets on the phone so it's it's a little bit tougher but you know obviously when you used to have the actual ticket itself I remember when I would go to baseball games I would never throw away the ticket for one because you have to go in and out of the section but in case of something amazing would happen. And I would always like right. second, third, and I'm like, damn it. No, no hitter today. Like both teams got a hit guy got a walk, but no, it, it's, that's the cool thing about baseball is it does any, any given day. You just don't know what you're going to see when you get out onto the field. And Matt Kane had a record 125 pitches thrown in that game. And he tied Sandy Koufax's record for most strikeouts thrown in a perfect game with 14. He was absolutely dominant and it, like as they they signed him to the extension earlier in that season, so they're looking like geniuses to a lot of people. Oh yeah, very very good that season. Again, he was a good pitcher. The contract well worth it. A couple of weeks later, Bumgarner builds on that home run, twelve strikeout performance, throws his first shutout in the big leagues. This is where Bumgarner again is now starting to show that he's 
they they were correct in extending him that this guy is going to be very good yeah i mean he was elite game four of the world series at texas ranger stadium in the world series at 20 years old he threw like eight a guy was a dominant ice ice mm -hmm. um just a sign of things to come but he was great in june now we get to july first day of july all-star starters are announced giants have four headlined with obviously buster posey then you have melky cabrera pablo sandoval and then matt kane guess who mm-hmm. is going to start on the bump for the for this game just i guess he started in this game? game matt kane started the game two shut out really? yes He's, that's how good he was. And I think the perfect game helped with that. Yeah. Obviously, he was well worthy other than the perfect game. But when you have that to your resume for the season, like, give this guy the nod. And I remember right. specifically, I, I remembered Melky winning the – Melky wins the MVP mm-hmm. of the All-Star game. He had a home run and two RBIs in the game. I don't technically remember that. What I remember more of that game is Pablo's bases loaded triple in the first inning. That's what I remember. That opened the game. I do remember that. And it was like, because Melky, I think Melky maybe had an RBI in that inning or a hit, but it just seemed like the Giants were owning that all-star game. Pablo goes out and does that. Kane's now on the bump throwing to Posey. I mean, it was like it was a Giants all-star game. I remember that. It was, it was, it was pretty cool to watch. Unreal, yeah. Yeah, man, I mean, at this point, the Giants are looking good. Dude. Got four, four players in the all-star game. Melky Cabrera is, you know – He's got to be in the MVP talks at this point, I would say, as far as the whole league. Just having a monster season, the best season of his career. And, yeah, obviously that that would come to an end. But, yeah, Melky's the All-Star Game MVP. Interesting, man. Interesting turn of events that happened right after. Obviously, I I look back. I don't want to brush through the uh, All-Star Game, obviously. But I look back and I I, I think – I think about Sergio Romo taking over the closer role for Santiago Garcia is, is definitely a, a key factor in, in kind of them turning their season around in the second half. Sergio Romo, obviously part of the core four, but, but yeah, man, at this point, you know, the Giants are kind of in that fringe zone where they got to make some moves at the deadline for sure. I think at the deadline, they're 56 and 47 Dodgers are right there. And obviously the moves at the deadline will definitely play a huge role in, in their postseason. I do want to touch sure. the one one more thing because I do yeah. want to touch on the Romo thing. That is the one – I mean, Bochy was incredible throughout all of this, but that was clearly right. his best. That's what he was best at. He was best with his bullpen. He knew how to utilize oh, them. Oh, yeah. That was his biggest strength without a doubt, and that's why he will be in the Hall of Fame when oh, this is absolutely. all said and done, what he did with the bullpen. And Sergio Romo, like, I mean, the guy was absolute nails. Never seen a, a slider like that before. Just incredible. And he was huge. Yeah. He was absolutely huge. Yeah. And like you mentioned, they were, in the th- they were in the thick of things. They only went 12-12 and 12 in July. This was definitely a team that had, was good enough to make the playoffs, but they clearly needed some things to right. So they could build and try and be a, a World Series type of team once again. So the first Absolutely. move they make, and nobody at the time liked this move or in terms of th- was excited about the move because it wasn't a mm-hmm. huge game. They go out and get Marco Scudero from the Rockies for Charlie Culberson, who, believe it or not, still in the league, cup of coffee. Yeah, he's, he's had a nice player for sure. Play all over, yeah. great. And then – it also on the move, the Giants had to DFA Emmanuel Burris. Hate to see it. In 95 games for the Rockies, Marco Scudero was hitting 271, 324 on base, slugging 361. But again, not a slugging guide, whatever. Yeah. Solid player, 271. But obviously, what he did for the Giants was just incredible. In 61 games, 61 games since they acquired him, he hit 362. 385 on base and his slugging went up to 473. Absolutely incredible. I think without a doubt, incredible. the best, most impactful player that they got without a doubt, even over, I would say over Melky because of down the stretch. Now Melky did it technically mm-hmm. longer sample, but what Marco did down the stretch again, we all know the other trade they made, but I think this one was definitely bigger, especially from a results yeah. standpoint, but Marco for Charlie Colberson, incredible deal. Incredible deal. Brian Sabian, man. Gosh, it just felt like Marco Scudero was kind of the 
we'll get into Hunter Pence, but dude, I just felt like he was the kind of the heart of the team there, man. I mean, he was the he was the one guy that was steady throughout, you know, throughout August, throughout September, you know, just the aging middle infielder. Just an unbelievable acquisition, a guy that, you know, was just pencil and man in the two hole. Obviously, I was a big Freddie Sanchez guy. Marco Scudero, just an unbelievable acquisition. Guy that will forever, you know, be that guy. He was obviously at at Bochy's, you know, farewell deal. I mean, Marco Scudero, man, what a what a fucking player. What an unbelievable player. Unbelievable run for him, you know, kind of in his second half of his career for sure. Well, I um, I I don't want to say feel bad because I mean it's hard to feel bad for some of these guys, but. In a sense, I feel like he somewhat doesn't get talked about enough because of Hunter Pence. Yeah. Like that was a bigger deal in the sense of what Hunter meant, not only for the team, the city, whatever. And he's been – he was mm-hmm. a giant longer. And then I think he – Marco, to me, had the postseason moment, you know, where he's looking up to the sky when they win the NLCS in the rain. Oh, That's when- the moment. And then Pablo hits three home runs in the World Series and – then again, what that's about when Holiday takes him out on that slide. Remember that? Yeah, that Matt was Holiday what game one or two. You mentioned Bad. Freddie Sanchez in 2010. This guy was even. I mean, he was way better than Freddie. Way better. He was. I mean, he was just elite, and it just felt like every time he came up to the plate, you almost had more. You almost wanted him at the plate more than Posey, and Posey was the MVP of the yeah. season. Like that's just how good he was. It always seemed like in the biggest mm-hmm. moments when you needed a hit, that guy was up you were going to get it done. And of course he gets the game winning hit that ended up winning the world series in game four, not to spoil it, but again, 2012 review, but he was just incredible. But I think we obviously have to talk about the next deal. Definitely not from a production standpoint when they got him, he didn't play that particularly well, but we clearly Mm -hmm. know he meant much more than just stats. Mm -hmm. Hunter Pence for Nate Shearholtz, Tommy Joseph and something called Seth Rossin. Um, again, <laughs> Hunter only hit 219 in the regular season and only 209 in the playoffs, but I, I don't even think it really needs – there doesn't need to be much said on, in terms of how much he meant yeah. for this team from a clubhouse standpoint, for the city, for the fans. Just an incredible human being. He, he's from Texas, but he just kind of – he just kind of screamed San Francisco, dude. Just kind of quirky, you know, the socks. 100%. He, the city just loves loves the guy. A lot like how they kind of took in Tim Linscombe, you know, definitely 420 friendly, if you know what I mean. But just an absolute, you know, just a great teammate, great guy, great leader. Obviously, the production wasn't what Brian Sabian was hoping for, but really brought that team together and, and really – Obviously, the city of San Francisco just embraced him for good reason. But just an absolute, just a great, you know, great acquisition all in all. Just an absolute great acquisition. And, I, you know, we were talking a little bit prior. But at, at this point, do you think that they know that Melky Cabrera is, has tested positive at this point? When they're um, Melky tests, the issue is when they trade for 100 pence, 16 days pass before his test comes out. Now, I'm, I don't know how long. Um, I think they knew. How long the, I, I'll tell you this. Regardless if they I know knew or not, appeal. Hunter Pence was the prototypical ideal fit for the clubhouse, especially when the Melky news came out, because right. that is a guy who can galvanize a locker room, can lead an entire team, We've seen that. There's just a certain presence about him. The amount of positivity, the positivity oozes out of this guy. The ener- the amount of energy, just a, a, it's hard not to be in a good mood when you're when you see the guy, you hear him talk, all of these types of things. And I think that was the biggest thing is he, again, from a production standpoint, didn't play that particularly well for this team in 219 in the regular season, only seven home runs in, I believe, 60 mm-hmm. games. Again, that's not what they traded for. If you would have asked them from those numbers, they probably would have said, actually, we don't want it. But it clearly meant so much more to this team. And I truly believe if he's not on this team in the locker room, they don't win it. I think he's 1,000%. And every Giant fan will agree he was 1,000% a huge part to this team, more from just a psychological standpoint. 
And I think it's it's all because of what happened on August 15th, Darren. Myself, I'm pretty sure you felt this way, and I know a lot of others did, when Melky Cabrera, who led baseball at the time with 159 hits and was second in baseball with with a 346 average, got popped with PEDs, 50-game suspension, season done. I said it right then and there. They were this team was done. That's mm-hmm. a hot take or cold take exposed, whatever it is. I thought they were Dude, done. Yeah. And I mean again, it's not like they were losing some Our random team, guy. Yeah. They were losing arguably the best player in the National League that season at that time mm-hmm. for the rest of the season. Just done. I mean it just really it took the you know kind of the air out of the out of the season. Just none he was having an unbelievable season like you said, you know, second in second in the National League in hitting for him to lose him at that time. And I think that's, you know, having Hunter Pence around, you know, it's, it's kind of a, so what, you know, who, who's next, you know, kind of mentality that you, you kind of have to have when you lose, lose a guy like that. And, you know, they responded. I mean, they go 37 and 19 in August and September down the stretch. They're able to, you know, beat out the Dodgers, beat the Dodgers and win the division unbelievable I, I did not at the time I thought you know I was kind of in the same boat as you I was going geez not looking good you know that's obviously their best player but I think you know that I think they had had a feeling that this is this was coming I think you're able to to appeal a positive test you know around that time they they probably found out that he he had tested positive and so they were going to appeal it and obviously the appeal was denied he suspended for 50 games I thought it was just interesting that, you know, he just, like you said, he left the team right now. Like, yeah, right he, 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 he as soon as, left. as soon as it was announced to the public, like, it, again, you mentioned, I still think they needed to add an outfielder because if you just look at baseball reference, they obviously show the best stats. They, when they, mm-hmm. they add Melky in those stats, because again, he played 114 games, so he played more than mm-hmm. half the season. Well, they still have he and Hunter Pence in that outfield. The only other guy you really see is Blanco. So the outfield was still a need for this team. But I do hear you. Yeah, to me, I, I, whether they knew or not, I think, like I said, they needed to go get an outfielder. But Melky, man, uh, he left. That was a huge blow uh, for the team. But mm-hmm. like you said, they get they they banded the troops together and a, and a huge part to that a, a guy who I felt like we haven't had to talk about because again it's kind of obvious but he was the MVP of the league hit 336 24 yeah. home runs 103 RBIs uh, I wish we would have continued to see more of this but Buster Posey the league MVP his, his catching was probably the uh, again he I think he's a gold glover now wasn't quite that then but when you're hitting 336 who really cares this guy Right. Definitely carried the team, especially when Melky went down. Best season of his career. Not sure. even close. Award. I mean, yeah, at this point, he's he's a superstar. Superstar for sure. Kind of the one guy that, you know, was consistent throughout the year from, you know, from the start of the season to the end of the season. He's strong. I mean, he's catching every day. After that, you know, serious injury in 2011, it was impressive for him to come back and, and kind of, established that he's the best young catcher in the game yeah definitely you know clinched the uh nls title impressive stuff so like you said they clinched the division wet or the nls title at 94 and 68 is what they end up they were the third best team in the national league from a record standpoint the nationals were the one seed then you had the reds as the two seed Giants is three. And then this was the first year of the two wildcard teams in 2012. It was between the St. Louis Cardinals and the Atlanta Braves. The Braves actually had the same exact record as the Giants did. But unfortunately for them, again, the Nationals were the one seed. So mm-hmm. Braves lost at home to the Cardinals, meaning the Cardinals were going to go to the Nationals, Giants, and Reds. But as we're all used to, to seeing usually the top mm-hmm. seed gets the first two home games then it goes on to the next two so it would have been technically in normal terms giants would have been in cincinnati for the first two games they would have gone to san francisco for games three and four if four was needed and then obviously if mm-hmm. needed go back to cincinnati for five but this is the first year they changed it and this was a super 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 weird schedule but it was in terms of trying to eliminate a travel day so the Giants, even though they had less wins than the Reds, were getting the first two games of the series at home. 
So the lower seed got the first two games at home in the series. Well, the Giants, it didn't matter. They lost both games. They got yeah. the absolute shit kicked out of them at home, which was surprising because this was a team who was good at home. I mean, th- this team right. won at home. They were better at home. This was They relied on pitching and defense and timely hitting, and that was how you won at AT&T. And right. they now come home to start the series against the Reds. Again, a good team. They won three more games than them in the season. Your stud ace, Matt Cain, loses game one. Then you get the shit kicked out of you game two, nine nothing. Two hits. Uh, I remember thinking, I remember thinking again, I wrote them out. I wrote them out when Melky goes down. Now I'm writing them out again. I remember I had a, the header on Twitter, you know, I put at the start of this uh, series, I had like giants, reds, NLDS, right at the the beginning Mm -hmm. of the series. Like I was pumped, right? Like another world series run. Let's go. Well, down 2-0, guess what? We changed the header. The, it was nothing Giants. We changed it. We're like, we got to change the juju. Jeez. So before we get into the next three games, which are incredible, this is what the Giants were facing. Down 2-0 in the series, one more loss, they're done. Season's over. Mm-hmm. And why is this going to be so difficult? Well, the next three games are going to have to be played in Cincinnati. If they want to win, they have to win all three yeah. in Cincinnati. What's so tough about that? The Reds all season long had never been swept at home in a three-game series. So the the Giants were going to have to do something that had never been done in 2012. The Reds did not lose three games in a row at home all season. That's what the Giants had to do had to face. And I think we can all agree, game three, maybe the ugliest win in postseason history for the Giants. They had three hits. Three hits, you know, they find a way to squeak it out, two to one. They had 32 at-bats, Darren, and struck out 16 times. Half the time they struck out. Just unbelievable. Unreal. Yeah, Homer Bailey. Homer Bailey owns the Giants. You know, he's he's coming off a no-hitter two starts before. I mean, and he dominates, but they find a way to squeak it out in game three. And then, you know, going going over to game four, obviously – they find a way to win in game four. Barry Zito pitched pretty well. Barry Zito uh, was terrible in that game. Barry Zito didn't even get make it out oh, of yeah, the yeah. – he, he only got seven outs in the game for him. And that was my fault. I, I missed no, no bit. worries. Yeah. The guy who came in who was not starting, though, in the ro- who was not in the starting rotation for the playoffs was Lincecum. He ends up getting the win going four and a third with only giving up two hits and a run. Six strikeouts. That th- that is one of his many pretty good uh, moments in this postseason. Because again, we all think of Tim Lincecum as the two-time Cy Young Award winner. But in 2012, regular season was yeah. okay. But this is clearly the downward spiral that his mm-hmm. since went on. I would say he still had a great career. Obviously, two Cy Youngs. You can't knock him for that. But yeah. the trajectory that we all expect him to go, it completely it definitely went down. Yeah, yeah, tough. Tough year, I think a five, an ERA over five in the regular season, and Bochi moves him to the bullpen, and he and he takes it in stride. I mean, he's he's not, a, you know, he's a team guy. Even after a really disappointing regular season, he's obviously he's put into the bullpen and you know throws how many how many shutout innings in in game four? You know, well, he did give up a run, but he went four and a third, only giving up a run, and the offense finally got going. So. They only had three hits the, the game uh, prior, two hits. So they only had five mm-hmm. hits in the last. They, they went into extras, only played one inning. So technically, they only had five hits in the last nine innings of play. And this is Great American Ballpark they're playing at now. This is a hitter-friendly park. They finally get going, and the offense gets going. Angel Pagan leads off the game with the solo bomb. They, they just continue to tack on runs, two in the second, two in the fifth, and then three in the seventh. 11 hits. Gregor Blanco, home run off Mike Leake, and then Pablo Sandoval in the seventh inning. So the offense finally gets going, and then now we play the sudden death game five. The odds are still stacked up against the Giants, but you get your ace back out on the mound with Matt Kane, who wasn't terrible in game one. Bumgarner was worse mm-hmm. in his start than Kane was, but you just knew this one wasn't going to be easy. I remember being uh, at school. This That's a 
crappy part about some of these playoff games is sometimes they're on during the middle of the week during the day. So I remember I was in chemistry class to be exact when the biggest moment of the game happened and the floodgates opened when Buster Posey hits the grand slam in the top of the fifth inning off one of Matt Latos. Matt Latos, a huge Giants hitter. You couldn't have, I mean, you couldn't have written it any better. That moment, mm-hmm. uh, they come back from 2-0, down 2-0, and Buster Posey, the MVP of the league, hits an absolute bomb of a grand slam off Matt Latos. The incredible moment. Bases loaded, <laughs> bases loaded, two outs, 2-0 count. Here's a fastball for you, Buster. Yeah, unbelievable. Yeah, at that time, I mean, you could just see it. I mean, the, the catcher for the Reds. Who's the catcher? Uh, the Ryan Reds? Hannigan, I believe. Hannigan, good call. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right away. Just an iconic. Oh, my goodness. Just right that. away. Yeah. <laughs> he just knows it right away. An absolute um, bomb. I mean, you could, hear a, you could hear a pin drop in the Great American Ballpark. I mean, it was just the energy, everything just zapped. You know, I, I kind of felt a little bad for – Dusty Baker, obviously, you know, want, uh, you know, loved him as a Giants manager and, and really kind of wanted to see, you know, if the Giants weren't going to, weren't going to win it all. I wanted to, see, you know, they, they had a really good team that year. Cincinnati Reds were a really good team that year. Johnny Cueto said, I mean, they'd never been on that yeah. team. Uh, although I believe if I, if I, if memory serves me correctly, I'm going to, I'm going to circle back. I highly believe, I believe Johnny Cueto got hurt in game one. He did. He only he threw did. an inning, or excuse me, and he only got an out. It was a strikeout. That's right. And then he he so he got hurt. But no, that team was good. Homer Bailey was a good starting pitcher for them. I mean, they were, and again, they were more of an offensive team. Bronson Arroyo was there. He was pretty mm-hmm. game too. No, that Reds team was really good. And for the, I mean, when the Giants came back again, the Giants were not a better team than them in the regular season. They were three games no. or uh, worse than them. They had, like, Brandon Phillips, Zach Cozart up the middle. Joey Votto was at first base. Jay Bruce. I mean, this team could hit as well. Absolutely. You do feel for Dusty, but, again, just an incredible comeback from the Giants. Yeah. Which seemed, in, like I said, improbable, especially going into the series when you know that the Reds had not lost three games in a row all season at home. So, the Cardinals – get by the Washington Nationals, the other series in the NLDS. And the only thing I really remember about that series was that was the year Steven Strasburg broke into the big leagues and their GM, Mike Rizzo, said that they were going to stop throwing him at a certain point in the season to save him, shutting him down. And before they won the World Series last year in 2019, it was one thing that it almost felt like that guy was never going to live down. That franchise was never going to live down. They could never – seem to kind of get past the hump in the playoffs they had a tough time in 2014 we'll we'll go over that at an, in another podcast but the cardinals move on and like you had said earlier in this podcast they they're the defending champions so you've got the the last two world series champions now facing off in the NLCS and i just remember going into the series feeling confident uh, the Giants were coming mm-hmm. off down 2-0. They win that series, and they were a better team than the Cardinals. Uh, mm-hmm. They have home field advantage. Now we're used to the format. We get the normal 2-3-2 two, two, instead of this weird crap that they did in the NLDS. And what do you know? Giants, like they always did in this postseason, backs up against the wall. They lose game one. Lose game one. Madison Bumgarner gets the loss in game one. Yeah, this. I mean, this – Cardinals team, like you said, is coming off the World Series championship. Um, well, they have the so pedigree. They have team. the. They have you. You. You said Beltron, Matt Holiday, Alan Craig was an incredible guy with runners in scoring position. Yadier Molina, David mm-hmm. Freeze, World Series MVP. David Freeze. Team could hit and Carlos they could pitch. Beltran, yeah, they could. Fuck, they could definitely hit. You know, they they win game two. And the Giants. This is when Mark. Yes, the Giants win game two, seven to one. But this is when. You know, the, the kind of legend of Marco Scudero kind of is born, in my opinion. He, he gets taken out in the first inning on that slide by Matt Holliday. Looks like, I mean, looks like he damn near tore his MCL. You don't know if he's, you know, if he could be hurt long-term to end the season. Yeah, that was um, a huge, huge storyline in that game. Huge. He comes back the next inning and hits 
hits a two-run double down the left field line. Just an absolute badass. Like it, like you said, just one of my favorite player, favorite all-time Giants players, just because of his his heroics and kind of just absolute. Just kind of felt like he was always going to come through. Ice in his veins. Clutch, clutch, clutch. They win game two, obviously. Like he, said. you wanted him at the plate more than the freaking MVP of the league. That's how good he was. Like you would rather have him up than Posey during that season. Absolutely. That's just what it felt Absolutely. like. He was Mister Freaking Clutch every time you needed a hit. He would always come. would take the first pitch, though. Do you remember? Always, that? always took. Always it. would take the first pitch. It was like, geez, Mark. It would always be. Just right down the middle, yeah, but it didn't matter. Yeah, this is this is what he liked, <laughs> what he did. So, Giants get a huge win in Game Two. They had to even up the series before heading to St. Louis. You don't want to go heading down to St. Louis, head, yeah. you know, down 0-2 in the series. So now you're in Game Three. Your horse, Matt Kane, back on the mound, feeling great. Scoreless through the first two innings. Top of the third inning comes Pablo Sandoval with an RBI ground out, thanks to a. And I'll tell you how the inning starts. Pagan single. Guess who? Marco Scudero with a double gets Pagan to third. Giants play some small ball, ground out. But then Hunter Pence hits into an inning in the double play, so you only get one inning – or, excuse me, one run. Next, bottom half of the inning, first batter, Matt Carpenter, home run. So, Matt Cain, no shutdown inning there. And it just felt like that was the only thing the Giants did offensively all game. They out-hit the Cardinals, but they just couldn't get enough done. Cardinals end up winning the game 3-1, to and the Giants fall down 2-1 in the series. Yeah, man, like you said, um, the uh, atmosphere at Bush Stadium in St. Louis in, in postseason play is, is something else. Um, it kind of has the same feel that AT&T Park does for sure. A storied franchise, obviously, coming off World Series Championship the year before. They have a really good team. And, you know, like you said, you know, they lose game three. They go into game four. The second largest crowd at Bush Stadium. 47,000, 47,000. And they get beat, they get beat eight to three. Obviously the, the lineup, it's not looking good at this point, you know, and they're down, they're gonna, they, they look to fall to a, a three, one deficit in the, in the series. Hunter Pence, Pablo Sandoval hit home runs. The offense kind of, kind of seems stagnant at this point. And, you know, you're looking at a three, one deficit after game four. Yeah. After game four, you're down three to one. Yeah, backs up against the wall once again. They're going to be playing in an elimination game once again. They were 3-0 and in elimination games in that postseason, obviously being down 2-0 to the Reds in the NLDS. Mm-hmm. And who do they send out? Game five of the NLCS, the Giants send out their highest paid pitcher, Mr. Barry Zito, the GOAT of the team at the time, not the GOAT yeah. that we're all used to saying, greatest of all time. No, we don't mean that kind of GOAT. And listen, he let his nuts hang out that night and absolutely. just absolutely shoved it against the Cardinals. Seven and two-thirds of seven two-thirds innings, six hits. He struck out six guys, walked one, 115 pitch outing. And, and this was, without a doubt, the best start of his Giants career. Oh, um, yeah. I don't care if he threw shutouts. He had better statistical outings, but what was on the line, what he had done technically up to that point as a giant to have that performance with the season on the line and elimination game. Season on the line. He was left off the postseason roster in 2010. And you can really tell that it, it affected him that, you know, the, the Giants fans really thought that he was, you know, kind of, you know, overpaid. He wasn't really. I mean, they went. They win the World Series title in 2010, but he's not on the roster, so he's not really in the club. You know, and kind of underperformed throughout his time in San Francisco. But obviously, in Game Five, backs against the wall. You know, he outpitches Lance Lynn, and you know, just naps. I mean, unbelievable performance. Now at this point you're you're going okay well fuck we're down three two but we're going back home you know crazier things have happened unbelievable performance by Barry Zito game five once they won game five and we're heading back home it was one of those things where you're down three two you still are like eh, but it was almost one of those things where it was like you know what I think they're gonna do it they're good at home Absolutely. they've got Vogel song out there for game six who is just 
I, you know, I mentioned him when he, when he pitched well in 2011, but what he meant mm-hmm. to this team, Vogel's song was just dominant. He, not from a stuff standpoint, it, there, nothing jumped mm-hmm. off the screen, but the guy competed his ass off and just, he, pit, he just outpitched another guy who had a similar, who had a technically a better, longer career than he did, but at this point of, in his career was obviously at the end, and Chris Carpenter outpitched him. The Giants hit him well both games of the series game one or excuse me game two and now game six Giants get a huge win in game six to now even up the series to go to the dreaded game seven uh every sports right. uh favorite game except if you're rooting for a team in that game but Ryan Vogelsong elite in game six and the offense not a home run but they, they got going they had nine hits in this game Marco, two hits. I mean, how many multi-hit games yeah. did this guy have in the playoffs? But Pablo Sandoval, another guy who was hitting well in this series, was getting was getting going. But the pitching series for the Giants really took over. Unbelievable, yeah. The offense starts to kind of show life here in game six. Like you said, Marcus Scudero has been the – been the one guy that's been consistent throughout the whole series well i mean if but if you look at the pitching from game so game five six and seven cardinals scored one run and mm-hmm. all three of those games combined that's how dominant the pitching got i mean it was just incredible the bullpen all year but the starters got better i don't even know if the bullpen gave up a single run in the series now that i look back at it that's how good they were because Bumgarner gave up six earned in game one that's all they gave up they only gave up one run in game two. That was Vogelsong through seven innings. Game three, Kane gave up, I believe, all three. He did. The bullpen still hasn't given up a run in the first three games. They had to in game four. They gave up eight runs. Yeah, they finally did in game yeah. four. Contos and Guillermo Mota gave up two runs, but that was it. I mean, their bullpen gave wow. up a total of four earned runs in the seven-game series. That is absolutely incredible. Bruce Bochy at the peak of his power right there, just pulling all the right, all the red buttons, pushing all the red buttons. So game um, seven, Matt Kane, Kyle Loesch, yeah. Giants get out early. They're up 2 nothing after mm-hmm. two innings, but then the floodgates opened in the bottom of the third inning. Scudero, once again, leads off the inning with a single Pablo double. They walk Posey. Kyle Loesch out of the game. Joe Kelly comes in. What happens? Hunter Pence. I believe this was the 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 bat, or I think this was the play where it hit off his bat like five times or three times. Times. But I don't. I maybe not because three runs score, so maybe not on that one. But Hunter Pence, huge hit, and they just open up the floodgates. They score five runs in that inning, and through three innings in Game Seven, they're up seven nothing, and this one was all over but the crime. I was all over, man. They're going four series. Yeah, unbelievable. I think, you know, the I think Marco Scudero in, the, in this series, obviously, he's named the MVP of the series. He gets the last laugh of Matt Holiday. Just unreal performance, man. Awesome, awesome stuff. Incredible. I mean, he goes 14 for 28. <laughs> I mean, dude, come on. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. It, I mean, you can't really you can't really even explain it. The image of of him with the rain. Catching the catching the fly ball, I can't. I mean, that's this is this is the for Marcus Cudero. This is his highest, you know, biggest moment is in his career. You what know, do they What do they say? Into, what do they say on on uh, the Simmons podcast? The uh, his peak. Uh, what do they call it? But there, it's like his, his. It's like the 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 best moment of his career, without a doubt. Was in yeah, 2012. Yeah, is- that was his 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 pinnacle moment. Yeah. I feel like that's the. To me, that was the moment it, when I think of the 2012 season. Before, obviously, Pablo, and we're going to get into in a second. But when when Marco Scudero is looking up to the sky with his arms out, when it's raining, that's just an incredible moment. Yeah, I mean, just an unbelievable. You know, he's at the end of his career. He hasn't won a title yet. I, mean, I don't think he's ever been in the World Series, let alone played in the playoffs. He's putting it all together. Just, you know, really, you really kind of felt for him. You know, that was awesome. Unbelievable. So now the Giants are headed to the World Series. And for some reason, it, it, 
they they won six more games than the Detroit Tigers who they were playing in the World Series, yet mm-hmm. it felt like it was a David Goliath type of series in terms of the way the media was talking about it. It felt like the Tigers were the clear-cut favorite. And when you look at the roster – it's it's kind of hard not to it's it's hard to argue with them. Justin Verlander was right. their ace, two two six four ERA. He was seventeen and eight on the season. Just he had a dominant year. This was before he was considered the best, one of the best pitchers if in baseball, if not the best. But they had Max Scherzer on this team. He was in the rotation. Oh. Here's a Merced uh, alum shout out: Doug Fister, three four five ERA in one hundred and sixty innings. That's a good pitcher. Rick Porcello, a decent guy. Anibal Sanchez, Drew Smiley. I mean, this team, that, that's just the pitching. Then you want to go into the mm-hmm. offense. Uh, have you heard of something called Miguel Cabrera? Oh, yeah, he's a triple crown winner. He hit 330 that year, measly 44 home runs, 139 RBIs. And then Prince Fielder, little protection for him in the four hole, 313, 30 jimmies and 108 ribeye stakes. I mean, this guy, I mean, this team was, was loaded. and Loaded. I've it, from a paper standpoint, but looking back and obviously we had the hindsight of what happened in the series, but it was it, hard for me to believe a team that won 88 games in the regular season. Again, I, they must've just been getting the hype of winning mm-hmm. in the postseason because they swept the Yankees in the ALCS. And I guess if you swing the Yankees, you're, you're God in everybody's eyes. But was that, uh, I guess that was a storyline too. The Tigers swept mm-hmm. the Yankees. They were off for about seven to 10 days. Because the Giants right. went, obviously, full seven with the Cardinals. That definitely could have been a huge factor in the series. But I guess I guess before Played we huge dive into it, it, take us back to your feelings heading into the series. I mean, I, for me, I guess I said, why can't they win in terms of for the Giants? <laughs> mm-hmm. We shouldn't be here anyways. You're in a sense playing with house money. But it, to me, it just felt like the Tigers were just some of this Goliath-type hype. I guess just take oh, yeah. how I mean, you felt. Yeah, I mean, they're – you know they're on paper, like you said, they're they're probably the better team, but they did have seven to ten days off, and I think, you know, when you get to this point, it's not really about who's the best team; it's about who's playing the best. And you kind of felt the energy with the Giants, with Hunter Pence, with you know Marcus Cudero. They kind of were playing with house money. They were the why not us kind of group. So going into it, I kind of I, I felt pretty good to be honest. You know, with the bullpen bullpen arms. You know, at this portion of the season, it's shown time and time again that pitching and defense will win you games. And I think that the Giants' bullpen, bullpen arms were, you know, coming off a great, great National League Championship Series against the Cardinals. You know, you're feeling good. You're feeling good. You're, you know, as a Giants fan, you're, you're looking forward to, you know, the challenge. And, you know, absolutely. You know, it turns out that, it was uh, a little bit more lopsided than one would have thought, you know, going 1000%. I, without a doubt, did not see what ended up happening, happening. I, I did. I don't think any of us could have predicted that, especially what ended up happening in game one because of who was on the mound for the Tigers. That was a big reason why I was scared in this series was I thought Justin Verlander right. was going to dominate the giants. Uh, this was a team, uh, throughout the postseason it was consistent I mean and I think it's consistently been throughout the my Giants lifetime that this has been such an inconsistent offensive team and now you're going up against arguably the great at the time the the best pitcher in baseball and Justin Verlander or one of if not the best that was going to be a tough matchup but like you said this team the Giants they're playing good baseball too and and if of all the things they've been doing well the pitching has been dominant especially late in that Cardinals series. So, of course, you know, you thought they could win the series. So then let's get into game one. Justin Verlander, Barry Zito. Uh, you want to talk about a lopsided pitching matchup, but it went the way you would not have expected, and a large part of that is due to Pablo Sandoval. Without a doubt, his most iconic moment ever, rightfully so. Three home runs in game one of the World Series. Two Three. of them off Justin Verlander, his first two at-bats in the World Series. Is this his best moment as a Giant? 1,000. I mean, it yeah. it doesn't – three home runs in a World Series has been done, what, two other times, Babe Ruth and Reggie Jackson, I believe? And, oh, excuse me. Yeah. Excuse me. Albert Pujols did it the year before against the Rangers and I believe, Game 5. Those are the mm-hmm. only people who have done it. That's pretty good company. 
<laughs> Unbelievable. Ball must have been flying, you know, that night at AT&T Park. Unbelievable. Yeah, you would never, you would never expect it. I mean, Justin Berlander, he's one of the best pitchers in the league. Barry Zito, Tim Linscombe comes in that game and throws two and a two and a third shutout innings, five strikeouts. Because remember, they're coming off, you know, a series where they had to they had to play. Kane, three games. so Vogelsong and Kane were probably the two best starting pitchers on the the staff in terms of how they were pitching in the playoffs and they had thrown yeah. game six and seven. I believe there was what a day or two in between the world series. Thankfully for yeah. the Giants, the National League won the all-star game so they could stay in San Francisco. Had they had to right. go to Detroit, this series could have been completely different. Right. Yeah, man. It's crazy to think back. Barry Zito. Uh, Barry Zito. This is uh, Justin Verlander. I mean, what a way to build yeah, off your last start. He's coming off his best yeah. start as a Giant, and now he's starting game one against the best pitcher in baseball, and he gets the win. Uh, incredible two-start stretch for Mr. Zito. Let's go over to game two. Bumgarner, this is his – I mean, we in 2010 we yeah. see his World Series success, but he continues to build on it here. Seven innings, two hits, no runs. However – the biggest play in the game, arguably, considering this was a 2 nothing shutout, was in the second inning. Mm-hmm. Bumgarner hits Prince Fielder to start the inning, and then Delman Young hits a ball down the left field line. Well, Greg Arblanco to Marco Scudero to Buster Posey, an outstanding relay. They get Prince Fielder, yep. and we've touched on Greg Arblanco. And usually you'd think Crawford's making that relay, but no, our guy Marco's making the relay throw. And then to Posey, just an incredible play. And that, to me, was a huge reason, another huge reason why this Giants team was able to win the World Series is they just played catch. They were good at – they were just good at the fundamentals, these types of things. This is why this team did it. They weren't the sexiest team. They didn't hit the most home runs. They didn't didn't do everything perfect. But this is what they did best. Played catch, the fundamentals, good pitching, good defense. And this was a huge. They were going to win the freebie war. They were going to win the freebie war. 100%. Obviously. This outstanding Tigers offense only has two hits in the entire game. The Giants don't score till late in the seventh and eighth inning, but they take a 2 nothing series lead against the Tigers, shutting them out in game two. Pretty incredible and definitely foreign territory, not only for the Giants, but for their fans, because for once we're finally freaking up in a series without our backs up against the wall starting to feel it at this point i think you're starting to feel it oh yeah at that point you're you're feeling really good you're a tad nervous about detroit being in detroit though because now they get they're off there they clearly are hurt with not having a dh as opposed to the giants right giants are used to no dh so they clearly add another element to their offense (laughs) in game three yet they don't score once again and guess who my guy ryan vogelsong was dominant this game but he only went five and a third innings. He wasn't. He didn't have his best stuff. He had four walks in this game. As Middlecoff would say, his C stuff in this. But he's battled, competed, went five and battled. a third, up a run. And then guess who? Once again, yet another clutch bullpen performance. Tim Lincecum. You want to talk about a guy you mentioned way earlier in this podcast. Just a team guy. I mean, yes, mm-hmm. two-time – how many two-time Cy Young Award winners? Again, maybe when they're 40 or at the end of their career. Right. This guy's still in the middle of his career in a sense. He takes a back step into a bullpen role, was huge for this team. And once again, Absolutely. the second game in a row, they shut out this great Tigers offense and win a game 2 nothing. He's kind of that leverage guy that they're able to bring in in the fifth, sixth, and seventh innings. Before you go to Roma, before you go to Javi Lopez, he's kind of that, you know, that leverage guy that you can bring in with, and he can get a strikeout. So this is kind of a a new weapon, kind of that Bruce Bochy has in this bullpen. I think played a huge role, huge role, definitely massive role, definitely man, unbelievable, just fucking unbelievable, it's crazy. And obviously they. They win game four. Matt Kane, your stud ace on the mound, your one win away. I think we all knew at this point it was going to happen. 
One quick note, though, was, and I remember hearing this, the weather in Detroit was going to get really ugly after game four, and it seemed like they didn't think the series was going to get played for a couple of weeks, or not weeks, but like a couple of days in terms. Had the Giants lost game four, 3-1, now you take a break for a couple of days, let the rain storm pass. I mean, mm-hmm. all the momentum could have completely shifted. So winning game four was just huge in that standpoint. Plus, you just wanted to put an end to it. We had enough torture this offseason. Again, we're at 3 nothing, so there's not much torture here. But let's put an end to this. Right. And you got your stud ace on the mound. But I do remember two home runs in this game that the Tigers hit in particular. One was in the second. One was in the third off Matt Cain. Miguel Cabrera and Delman Young with the home runs. It seemed like off the bat, they popped up to right field. Yet, Erica <laughs> Park, the wind just completely shoves wow. the ball into the stands. It was one of those things. And I, to be honest, as, even though they were up 3-0 in this series, it, it just felt like if the tig- you just didn't want to see the Tigers win a game because we saw it with the Giants. No, you didn't. The first thing you could do was just let them get one. Once they mm-hmm. get one, they get on a roll. And this was a Tiger team that could do that. Thankfully, however – Mr. Buster Posey hit a massive home run in the sixth inning off Max Scherzer to give the Giants a lead before they would end up blowing it in the bottom half before going to extra. He hooked the changeup down the the left field line. Huge. And that's an iconic home run. Out in front, swing to a knee, and kind of just watch it. And it, you know, barely stays fair for an incredible home run. And then I guess the the I guess we'll just end this game and the series with I guess the only proper way you can do it is with Marco Scudero getting the game winning RBI, Mr. Freaking Clutch, all posting for this team, knocks him in. And then another incredible moment in the World Series, Sergio Romo, the slider specialist, mm-hmm. strikes out who was I, I think at the time the best player from the offensive standpoint the mike trout in that day right like the best player but he was the best hitter in baseball miguel cabrera romo gets him looking with a fastball basically right down the middle to end the world series dave fleming with the call incredible moment and the giants are Sergio romo for the second year second time in era postseason era in 2012.884 yeah incredible incredible he struck out the Um, side he struck out the side in game four to win the role. I mean, that is <laughs> I mean, incredible. Pablo obviously gets the MVP with the three home runs in game one, obviously. Can't draw it up. Moment. Yeah. Unbelievable, man. Unbelievable run. Great year. I mean, what a phenomenal year. I mean, just so many different guys pulling together, different guys making contributions. Team. Feel like they were the best team when it was all said and done. Yeah, unbelievable. Unreal. Well, without a doubt, they were – I think this is the best championship team of, of the three, but it was one of those where it, it felt like it, too, after they won. They Down 2-0 to the Reds, oh, down yeah. 3-1 to the Cardinals. And, and again, the, the Tigers were not a better team than them in terms of a record standpoint, but in terms of star power and the and on the rosters and the amount of hype the Tigers got, it, it was huge – upset in a sense for the Giants to win it and not only do they do it they sweep them and absolutely incredible and I think without a doubt my favorite of the three championship teams I would have to agree with you man I would have to agree with you just unbelievable yeah it brings back great memories dude great memories All right, thanks again to Darren for joining me, reliving the 2012 World Series champion San Francisco Giants. Later this week, we should have another pod on top 2020 NFL receivers for the upcoming draft, maybe a couple other things involving MLB. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe at the Mark Ackerman podcast that you can find on either iTunes or Podbean. Like I said, hopefully we'll be up on Spotify soon. And thanks again to Silent Partner for providing the music. See you guys later this week.